This is Impressive Growth Masters, the podcast created by marketers for marketers. Keep up to date with everything from retail to tech and beyond. Join your host, Robert Tadros, in conversation with CEOs, CMOs, and the true masters of business and growth marketing. Hello and welcome to the Growth Masters Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Tadros. My guest on the show today is the one and only Mark Bartas, an award-winning CMO who has worked for some of the world's biggest organizations. I'm talking Microsoft, Salesforce, Vodafone, Allianz, and trust me, the list goes on. One of Mark's career highlights is increasing Shopo, the iconic Australian online fashion retailer's revenue, by 400% in three years all bootstrapped. And not only that, he grew the marketing team from one person, which was just himself, to 18 people. Mark has won a plethora of awards such as the top 50 CMOs in Australia, top 50 people in e-commerce, and the list goes on. Guys, without further ado, please welcome Mark Butters. Awesome, Mark. Welcome to the show, man. I know we've had you on before and apologies, the recording got stuffed up and we couldn't we couldn't use it. So I know how much you love recording podcasts. So here we are again. So Mark, look for, for our listeners, you know, like I would love to know, and obviously I'm sure everyone listening right now would love to know how you got started in this space. Yeah, sure. Uh, always happy to chat with you again, Rob. Anytime, anytime for you. Man. We're re-recording as many times as we need to, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it again next week. Same time next week. <laughs> How did I get started? I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. I mean, originally my background's in the music industry. And if I, if I, if I showed you my camera around my room, you'd see like guitars and you can see my fancy microphone and whatever. And so I, I, you can, you know, you take the boy out of the music, but you can't take the music out of the boy. And, and, and then I, I, I got into like development and programming in the, in like the, the early days. So if you remember back when the MSN websites ruled the world in the late nineties, so I was, I was lead dev for that globally. ICQ um, and, and that world. Yeah, it was more, more for websites. I, I did a little bit of, yeah, 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 no, I remember those days well. <laughs> I, I did a little bit of work on actual MSN Messenger itself, but it was mostly the MSN websites. Yeah. Yeah, so I was, I was lead dev for that. I and mean, then it just, just seemed like the marketing guys were kind of having more fun. So I, um, I um, kind of jumped over and started doing that. And it's just kind of one thing led to another. And yeah, I've done, done kind of a wide range of work. I've worked as like a project manager. I've worked as an information architect, as a copywriter, and, you know, as a programmer. And I, I guess one of the things about, you know, working in marketing and, you know, as, as a CMO in particular, is, is it's great to be able to draw on lo- lots of different fa- backgrounds and lots of different fields and, and you know, to have that diversity of knowledge. And I think that, that really, I find it very helpful on a daily basis. Yeah, look, and I know, look, you've mentioned some of the brands, right? Like you've worked with Catch, I mean, Salesforce, Microsoft, Officework, Shopo, like mm. Vodafone, you know, so some massive, massive brands, right? Do you yeah. find yourself more gravitating towards a certain vertical or a niche? Or do you like that diversity across, you know, different verticals? I, I love the diversity. But I mean, I, I generally find, I mean, most of my work, probably two, two thirds or whatever of, of my work is like um, pure play e-coms. Um, but but a, a third isn't. You know, like I've, I've done a project for Red Hat recently, which is like, you know, B2B tech, enterprise tech. Mm-hmm. And that, that was really fun. I'm very happy with it. Yeah. Probably doing some more of them. But um, what I find is, you know, marketing is marketing. And yeah, there, there, there's definitely domain expertise. There's no question about that. You know, I, I, I know more about, you know, selling 
dresses to 20 year old women than the average marketer, but a lot of it is generic. <laughs> is that from work, the experience at Shopo? Yes, 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 definitely the experience at Shopo. I did say selling, I didn't say buying. Um, yeah, and, and what, what, I, what I find is I find like all the time that I'll kind of, you know, I'll do something on, on, on one company and then look at another company in a completely different industry and, and be able to poll- you know, cross-pollinate those ideas. And that, that's, that happens all the time. And I, and I love that because it's just, you know, ideas are ideas and, and they're usually, usually pretty flexible. So let's 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 spend some time there, right? I want to unpack this this space a little bit, right? And you know, there is this massive argument out there that brand is not everything, and mm-hmm. and vice versa, right? So let's let's a bit of a hot topic at the moment is like performance marketing versus branding. Yeah, sure. Let's unpack this, right? Because I know you're very passionate about it. Obviously, I'm very passionate, a bit biased as well, because I run a performance agency. But yeah. you know, let's. Um, I'm keen to unpack this, right? Because I think it's a very it's probably one of the most argued topic that I'm topics that I'm seeing right now in, 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 in the space, you know, it's like how much do you spend on brand and how much do you spend on performance marketing? Can you just keep buying customers? You know, I guess is where, where we ended up. Yeah. I mean, but, but there's no rule. Obviously it changes from industry to industry and, you know, in, in like luxury goods, for example, is completely different and performance is presumably not going to perform particularly well in, in luxury goods. But then at, at the same time, you know, you, there's a balance and I, I don't think there's any industries where it's hundred percent one way or hundred percent the other way. I mean, just, just before we started recording, you were talking about how, you know, impressive has had some, some wins, you know, off the back of some PR recently. And it's like, well, that, that's, that's brand marketing, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, show, show, show me on Google Analytics where, where the, the last click attribution for that. <laughs> I can't. Is a short answer. <laughs> no, no. And like, you know, I've, I've, I've done big campaigns. Like, you know, last year I ran a big um, TV campaign, for example. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't show up on Google for, for, for a pure play. It didn't show up on Google Analytics anywhere. But, you, you know, you can bet money that sales went up. Mm, and, mm. And, and, you know, we can prove that sales went up. But it, it's, it's a longer term playback. Uh, payback and it, and it fits in the overall mix right do you do you find that i mean obviously you wear the um you're like the outsourced cmo guy Ooh. right so a company will come and plug you in right to do you know whatever they they, they they sort of need you to do do you find that it's a harder sell nowadays selling some of the let's call traditional plays like pr or tv or radio or, you know i guess above the line versus the really you know, hardcore performance metrics like, you know, ROAS and you know, Google ads and shopping and you know, having those conversations? Yeah, look, I, I tend to do both. And, and there's probably a selection bias that a lot of people who work with me are working with me because they, they realize there's more to life than just performance. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's a selection bias. What, what, I mean, what's really interesting, I think sometime last year, I don't remember when it was, maybe a year ago, um, I, I wrote an article for like an industry mag about, you know, basically about this subject, performance versus branding. And I had had a number of people reach out to me and but they were all kind of people who were like, you know, on, you know, selling online and, you know, the sort of companies where, where performance does, you know, traditionally does well. And the people who reached out at me, they were all CEOs. There wasn't any marketing people. And I thought that was really interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Look, you know, and, and look, you know, I was, I was chatting with, um, I don't even know, Ryan, the CMO at uh, Catch. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Recently. And, and, you know, that, that they have built the company off the back of performance that, you know, that they're a very, very performance-driven company. But, you know, he, he, he's kind of moving now, being part of West Farms, he gets a bit more liberty to do brand stuff. You know, he, he, he wrote an article a while ago that they're doing like 70% performance and 30% brand now. And, oh, wow. 
And I, I know for a fact that they have a team of data analysts. They're not just saying, oh, let's just drop a couple of million on TV and let's just cross our fingers and hope it goes well. You know, West Farms don't operate that way. Yeah, and, and they've, they've got the data showing that stuff works. And, and I feel, you know, my, my you know, not, not being inside the business, but my gut reaction feels that's about the right balance of them, 70% performance and 30% brand. Um, the, the funny thing I see with, with performance markets a lot of the time is, you know, that, that they'll go, go through and like, you know, a, a credible company running Google ads, for example, will kind of largely ignore the brand. And, you know, they'll report, you know, we got 600% ROAS from non-brand search, right? That's typically how you report on, on Google ads. And it's like, but what they don't think is like, you know, the, the brand search is converting like crazy, you know, whatever. 2000% ROAS always on your yeah. brand search. It's like, how do we get the brand search up? Mm. How, how do we increase that? How do we get more people searching for our name? How, how do we get more of that 2000% ROAS? Mm, mm, mm. I mean, I'm loving the TV, the TV ads that catch are running at the moment. Anyway, I reckon they're bloody hilarious. Um, <laughs> they actually make me laugh because I'm watching yeah, well, you, you jump on. I'm, I'm sure you could probably find them on, on, on YouTube or somewhere. I'll, actually, I'll find them and I'll, I'll share them with you. It's an interesting, interesting point, right? So, I mean, personally, and this is my own personal sort of opinion, we work with a lot of larger brands. I think to a certain degree, they've neglected, they've neglected the brand piece and focused way too much on driving performance, right? And predominantly using your ROAS as you know, as a, as a sort of key metric, but we both know that they can be manipulated. And frankly, I hate that metric, right? So, and I, I think what I'm hearing here is that we're probably seeing more of a shift now coming back to investment into brand to try and sort of even it out and lift up that brand exposure, brand awareness. Yeah, it's a balancing act. Look, you know, if, if you're a pure play online company and you've just started and you've got like, you know, revenue of like a million dollars, then I'm not suggesting you do a TV campaign. You know, you, you yeah, should be investing in yeah. Google ads probably and maybe Facebook ads or whatever. But, mm. you know, as you get bigger, it changes. So, you know, I'm working with one company who about, you know, 40, 50 mil revenue. So, you know, decent size. Mm-hmm. And, and they've, they've built the company off the back of ROAS. Mm. But it's it's a company that A, has, has an, it's a sort of product which is, got a likelihood to be repurchased mm. and and it's also you know it's kind of a lifestyle type type field and so it's like well how about we just forget about ROAS and start looking about how much does it cost to acquire a customer where are the most valuable customers where you know how can we keep those customers for as long as possible and how do we make ourselves the brand of preference because currently they're just primarily committing in google they just write blank checks to google shopping essentially and it's like how do we get to the point where people don't even go to google and they come straight to us and at that point that's it's it's, it's a longer term investment but um it, it can it can pay off over the long term this is where amazon has done extremely well Right, I mean, Amazon arguably the, the search engine of e-commerce. Sure, yeah. Right, when you want a toaster, you're not necessarily going to go to, uh, well, I mean, obviously you will, some users and some consumers will go to Google and some go straight to Amazon. So Amazon exactly. have, have, have essentially, you know, like bought that customer forever, okay? Quote, unquote. Yeah. So arguably brands need to start to focus on how can, because you can keep buying customers, right? I mean, how, it's a race to the sure. bottom essentially, right? Especially if you're on mm-hmm. shopping or, or, or just pure mm-hmm. play search, right? So I guess the key there is to, to figure out what is that split between performance and how do you build a brand so that the next time or third or fourth or fifth time they come back, they're not going back to Google and you're competing for the same customer. Again, now you're actually getting them into the site. Exactly. Yeah. 
that, that's that's exactly it, and and it's it's a challenge, and you know, it's I, I find that there's you know this whole group of um young digitally led marketers who are you know often head of marketing for a lot of you know mid-sized organizations who've been raised on this ROAS way of thinking and looking at it, it's not that ROAS is, is is bad you know I, I use ROAS a lot myself but it only takes you so far correct is, is the point and, and, and they've been raised and they don't know that there's another way to do things and and that ROAS you know it, it just takes you so far yeah look and unfortunately for for a lot of agencies in this performance space you know we we love all I shouldn't say we, but like the performance space are very much like railways, 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 railways. And to a, uh, to a certain degree, we've like educated the market to think that way. So now it's unthreading a lot of that and starting to think mm. more holistic and talking about ROI rather than railways, right? Google, I mean, Facebook yeah. comes in, throws a spanner in the works, removes their you know, default attribution, throws railways out. But I mean, the reality is the end result is still the same, <laughs> right? It is. And it's, it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting over the next you know year or two as you know this this um, hardcore feed of data crack that we've had you know is going to start to not not don't know dry up so but being reduced with the iOS changes you know coming that that will reduce the amount of data going into Facebook in particular and then you know Google pivoting and you know making some of their changes and you know blocking third party cookies which are you know essentially dead now. And we'll be we'll completely dead next year when um Chrome updates, mm. and um you know this this super rich data that we have at the moment is is going away, mm. and the, the the thing is that brand marketing will work just as well as it always has. It's mm-hmm. performance marketing that will suffer. Brand marketing doesn't give a damn about this stuff. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting to to see what happens. And I I, I think of at least one company who I reckon are go, going to go under in this change because their entire business is built on performance driven Facebook ads. That is their business, which is a very very risky. immature approach. To to a business, I think. Well, they're throwing all their eggs in one basket, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's never a good approach. I was just chatting with a, a CEO of a company last week who have, have done that. They basically built this company like quite successful. We're doing about 40 mil or so. And they've built that off the back of Facebook ads. Wow. And, and they're in trouble now. And, you know, I, I know how much they're spending on Facebook ads. And it's a big, big number. Um, you know, they're spending like a high percentage of that 40 mil on Facebook. And yeah, and, and, and they're in trouble and they know they're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, we always preach this, right? Never, ever throw all your eggs on baskets because you just don't know what's around the corner. Right, it's diversification and integrated is 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 really a thing, right? It's not just agencies talking about we should be running, you should be running integrated channels. It's understanding the customer journey and then layering that back to the relevant channels and knowing which part, you know, which channel fits where, rather than saying Facebook is our entire customer journey. You know, we 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 run the awareness on social, we're going to keep them on social, we'll get them to the site, then we run DPA ads backed on social. Like you really need to start to diversify, I guess, the the channel mix. <clears throat> which in turn should help reduce the actual overall CPA anyway and increase ROI. Yeah, it's a, it is. For, for some companies, they should just diversify. For other companies, it's a bit more challenging. Like I'm, I'm dealing with one company and the basically we, we have tried everything, but they've tried everything before I came on board. But they, you know, I've tried a whole bunch of things. And the only thing that really works for these guys at scale is SEO. Yeah, wow. And so it's making up, about, you know, let's say 70, 75% of their revenue is SEO. Mm. And, and and they still have quite a lot of low-hanging fruit. They should be able to double that, I reckon, mm-hmm. um, as double their SEO revenue. But, you know, it, it works, but it exposes the business to risk. But the thing is, we just can't find anything else that, that is profitable. So that, that's a real challenge for them. And it's, it's a sort of business which will never be a heavy brand investment. They, they, they do some PR and that does work for them. That's probably about 10% of a business. Yep. Yeah, so, so that, that's, a, that's a real challenge for me. It's like, how do, how do I guide and advise these people when, when SEO is the only thing that works? Yeah, it's a, it's, that's, that, that's a tough one, right? 
away. I mean, Google comes in, throws a spanner in yeah. the works, updates an algo, and wang, there you go. You've gone backwards a little bit, right? Please, yes. Yeah. yeah that, is, that, that, is a, that is a tough one. Another area I want to sort of uh, shift gears into is AI. Right. I know it's a pretty yeah, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty hot topic at the moment, and I know you're pretty passionate about it in space as well. So, I mean, for our listeners, right? Like, talk to me a little bit about AI because it's when you talk about AI, it's like where do you start and where do you end? Right? You go down this this rabbit hole, <laughs> but what's what's going on in the space at the moment? Yeah, I, I think people don't realize how sophisticated it is. People hear about AI, and for a lot of people, it's just an abstract concept. And I, I think pe- if people knew how sophisticated it was and how close it is to having like a real significant impact on people's lives, they, they, they would be horrified. I mean, at the moment, you know, like Google is pretty much an AI machine. I saw a graph a while ago about the number of AI projects underway at Google at any point in time. And like, you know, 10 years ago, it was like one or two. And now, Basically, everything is AI and Facebook's the same. And, and that's very abstract. You can know, think of this abstract algorithmic, you know, stuff, you know, where my search results ranked or however, you know, which feed appears first in Facebook or, you know, which ad do I see in Facebook? And look, that's, that's good stuff. But there's a whole lot of other stuff happening as well. You know, so, you know, I, I know people who are using AI to... Um, to um, like sequence their picking and packing in their warehouses. And then there's, you know, I, I know Amazon are using AI to actually, because, you know, they've got warehouses all across the US, of course, mm-hmm. to to do their stock balancing because they, they actually do predictive AI saying that, you know, we believe 20 units of this item will be selling in the whatever Omaha, Nebraska warehouse in the next week. So let's make sure we move those from this warehouse where we don't believe we're going to sell 20. And so we have too many. And so they're, they're moving around stock based on predictive AI. And, and that sort of stuff can have a real impact. Um, and and what, what I'm kind of really obsessed with at the moment is, um, you know, the, probably the, the one where there's been the most public noise is there's a company called OpenAI, which is owned and invested by, um, or I don't think it was owned by, but a key investor is Elon Musk. And they've got their engine called GPT-3, which I'm, I'm fortunate to just have gotten access to, which is quite quite hard to get access to. And, and that, that will write copy for you and do all sorts of stuff. It, it's crazy. Like I was, I was playing around last week and I, I got just for, I was looking at like a, a fashion company and I just got some product specs, you know, size eight to 10 or whatever. And, you know, of this fabric and this size and this cut and i just copied and pasted that in and there's no like when i say this people and it comes up with a product description for you and it says you know this i can i can game game i could find the product description but um and people think oh there's smoke and mirrors here and there's training required and you know team of programmers like no i just did it i just did it it took me about it the hardest part was actually finding the clean copy to copy and paste um and i just put it in there and it came up with like a paragraph of like really quite good quite well-written content can you tell if i mean if you weren't if i didn't know for example could i would i be able to tell if that was written by a robot or a human being no chance well no chance isn't this like, I mean, I remember Facebook had to shut down the AI bots, right? Started speaking its own language and they had to shut the bloody thing down. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> that, that, was in a, that was a lab thing, I think. But yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's, you, it's a good headline. It's a good story, right? Media loves yeah. it. Do you think there's danger here? I mean, like, where, where do we draw the line as humans? I mean, I know Elon goes on tangents talking about this, right? And let's not even go there. I mean, he thinks we're part of a simulator, but, you know, <laughs> I, I do sincerely believe that AI will eventually, whether it's in, in our lifetime or not, will take over humans. But it's like, where does where does human draw the line and go, all right, 
AI, that's enough. We're going to take over from here. Yeah, look, the, the, the ethics of AI is is it's an absolute minefield, and I, I've seen debates between you know the, the, the I'm going to call them the tech super geniuses between you know Bill Gates and Elon Musk and you know those sorts of guys you know arguing about this, and there, there's no real consensus where we should. I mean, everyone agrees there needs to be an ethical argument. There's no debate about that. And then I guess the argument is: is it a net good or a net bad for the world in 50 years time? There's, there's a concept called the singularity, yes. which is basically where where AIs basically become reach a sufficient a sufficient intelligence level that they can like create a better AI and then a better AI. And at that point, you, you know, you've got an AI with I know it's not directly analogous to human intelligence, but let's say for argument's sake, it's got a, an IQ of five thousand or something, which is just. I mean, well, this is the scary part, right? I mean, yeah. AI doesn't smoke, it doesn't drink, it doesn't have emotions. There's no <laughs> anxiety, depression, all these disorders, right? They, they don't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. It's like super smart computer. And I, I guess for me, I just wonder, like, <laughs> are we going to become extinct? You know? Like, <laughs> oh, man, who knows? But yeah, I, personally, I'm excited about it because, you know, the stuff that can happen. Because, you know, you look at something like, you know, a, a monkey, which has got an, let's, let's just, yeah, I, I know IQ is an imperfect measure, but just, just for argument's sake, has an IQ of, let's say, you know, 40 or 50 or whatever IQ a monkey has. And it doesn't matter how much time you give them and how much help you give them and how many monkeys you have. You know, you give them like a, a like a IKEA construction kit, they're not going to build it, Right. And you know, some people would argue the same true as, is true of me, but that's another discussion. <laughs> but um, and you and me both. Yeah, but but you know, and, and we look at these tasks which are relatively simple, and um, a monkey which is not that much dumber than us just mm. can't do these things. So imagine when you have a machine with an IQ of five thousand, and they say, "Oh, cancer, just do this." It's just like, or or, or whatever. It's just a like global warming, just do this. You know, and yeah, I, I just don't know what's going to happen at that point. And that's, but you know, it's fascinating. Scary world. I was talking to another client at the moment. They run a um, it's a it's a piece. It's a SaaS SaaS product, <clears throat> which can track phone calls, right? So for phone tracking, but on steroids, and can actually layer it with different attribution models and really really cool system, right? They nice. run their entire customer success team on AIs. Yeah, cool. Right. They've even got names, so they're part of the team, <laughs> right? And one of them is called Maurice. Now Maurice can actually onboard a client send emails back and forth, can do a bunch of different things, right? Talk to team members in Slack. It's not perfect yet, but it's getting there and can run that entire onboarding process on its own. Now, just think about the operational efficiency that that business is creating, right? They'll be so lean. Yeah, um, it's crazy. But it just, it trips me out. I wonder like, are we like, literally we are replacing humans right now with robots. Oh yeah. I mean, and I mean, we have been for a long time, you know. The, the first injury that's going to be devastated is logistics and transportation. Yeah. With, you know, self-driving cars. I mean, it's just, you know, Uber's the classic example, and you know, ride-sharing companies that, you know, essentially you're, you're just paying someone to drive a car but what happens when self-driving cars come in it's like there's no need to own a car there's just a great big pool of cars there because you know well, you, your car is sitting there unused 90 95 percent of the day i uh, re was reading in an article and I, don't quote me on this year but i i think from like 2030 we won't have steering wheels sure yeah. <laughs> so right you just jump in this car and it will start driving right you don't need a steering yeah. wheel it'll just do its thing but why even own a car at that point well that's exactly right I mean, so you're, why, you're not why using it 95% of the time. Correct. 
and it just become a novelty, it'll become a hobbyist thing. Mm. You know, our, our grandkids were like, wow, you used to actually have your own car? Like, what, you had a steering wheel and like pedals and like a gish? Yeah. Oh, wow, what is that thing? <laughs> and, and, you know, the, con the concept, you know, all, all these buildings have got all these massive parking lots, you know. I've, I've been in your building, you've, you've, you've got parking there. It's it's like, well, what, what, what a waste of space. Lot? Yeah. Because yeah. what only, what only need, like, you know, what's, I would say, I don't know, 20% of the number of cars. Correct. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. But then, then what happens to all the, those Uber drivers and truck drivers and all that sort of stuff, yeah, which is, you know, what, all, the, all the debates, and I'm not knocking away in, on this one, but all the debates of universal basic income and uh, they're good debates to have. What, what, what the right outcome is, I have no idea, but they're, they're great debates to have. Scary times, scary times. I mean, it's exciting, but it's scary at the same time. I mean, from a marketing perspective, we love it, right? But when you, when yeah. you start to apply it to the real world, it's like, oh, shit. You know, like this is uh, the next, I think, 20, 30, 40, 50 years plus are going to be very, very interesting because I think we're going to yeah. see some rapid um, evolution of a lot of this tech start to take place. And it's, it's been around for a long time, right? But now it's starting, it's getting to a point where I believe there's going to be this massive pivot and we're going mm. to start to see some incredible technology come out of it. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, as I said at the beginning, I, I think people just don't realize how sophisticated this is. And every time you talk to anyone about it, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, jobs are going to be replaced by AI but not my job. It's yeah. never my job. It's <laughs> someone else's job. It's never my job. And yeah. that's a very dangerous thing. To, and I've asked myself many times, can my job be replaced? And I think parts of it can be. Not all of it, but I think parts of my job can be. And when I got access to, to GPT-3 last week, mm. I was chatting with a, a, a friend of mine who's um, a copywriter for a big, well-known company. And, and she, she was very skeptical and uh, kind of write good copy. And I just told it to write a, a diversity policy for this company and it's honestly i just write i just wrote in write a write a diversity policy for company x it's a well-known company and click go and it came up with this two paragraph really solid diversity policy and i just copied and pasted that to her and um My yeah, goodness. I, think she, I think she was slightly upset by that actually <laughs> but anyway yeah. i should have rung you about that we were, we were putting together a ecg policy the other day right and um i reached out to you know people in culture and bond was helping us out i should have reached out to you could have got your little uh ai over there to write it up for us yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously that, that's something that does need a lot of humanity but, but the point was it was a readable coherent not horrible document whether it reflects the actual needs of that particular company is another question but yeah, yeah it, it, it made it was, sense it was a well it was a well written you, you would read if, if i showed you here's the gender, gender um, diversity policy of this company you'd read it and say yeah that's that's reasonable you, you, you unbelievable yes it was um, an ai insane 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 no we'll have to just wait and see what happens mark what gets you out of bed in the morning man like what drives you you know like what what, what gets you out of bed to go you know what this is why i exist it's a purpose <laughs> i like learning new things i like trying yeah. new things i like experimenting um yeah knowledge not knowledge and learning and and finding new things um motivated. you say you're skeptical yes yeah i, I am i'm skeptical but i always I, I i want to be proven wrong you're right until proven wrong <laughs> yeah yeah and, but I, I want to be proven wrong that's the thing I'm, I'm i'm always challenging myself and challenging people around me which some people find annoying but um, yeah, yeah, I, I want to be proven wrong. But yeah, I, I always want to try things. And I just like, like, like kind of, I like poking kind of, I guess, com accepted wisdom. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is um, accept, you know, um, is best practice is just acceptable mediocrity. Mm, I like that. Mm. Yeah. Challenge it. What yeah, is the so newest practice? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not saying I'm, I'm not, not arrogant enough or smart enough to just to be able to completely just outright dismiss best practice. But as soon as something becomes best practice, I'm always thinking, is that, you know, I think best practice is something that was really cool three years ago, mm -hmm. maybe. And it's kind of washed its way down and been kind of corporate whitewashed and, you know, sanitized and 
gone through like a million junior marketing people who don't know any better. And I don't know. Do you reckon that's why disruptors come in? I mean, you could argue that, right? Like disruptors oh, come in because they set the new best practice. Yeah. And if you've read um, Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, mm -hmm. which, you know, one of the classic textbooks, you know, and that, that's, that's essentially what the book is about. But, mm -hmm. you know, that companies are largely incapable of disrupting themselves. And, and the, the few example, the, the few good example he uses is when they've, like, you know, Jetstar is being a great example that, you know, we all know Jetstar and we all know Jetstar is wholly owned by Qantas, but it's run independently. And Qantas would never be able to run a low cost airline. But if they create it as a separate brand with separate budgets and, you know, separate management and, you know, they're in a physically separate office, that's the only way they could manage to to launch. And it's been, you know, an outstanding success. I, I think I've heard that Jetstar made more money than Qantas a few years ago. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, well, um, which is an interesting brand, right? I'm not having a dig at Jetstar, but they're literally a one-star airline. They've even got it in their logo. Sure. <laughs> but, but they're a very disruptor. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what happened to Tiger Air, right? Yeah, sure. Who they're owned by Singapore, aren't they? Singapore Airlines, yeah. Yeah, they're still. I'm pretty sure they're still around. Or I don't know about if they survived COVID or not. That's a good question. No, well, I think they're gone. They were around just before COVID. Yeah, no, they're gone. <laughs> they are gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Let me actually just have a look. Um, I'm almost uh, positive. Yeah, there you go. Due to impacts, the Tiger Air Australia brand has been discontinued. Has been okay. Yep. Yeah. Gone. I. I I did a Tiger flight just before COVID. I needed to be somewhere in a hurry and my flight got cancelled and Tiger was the only thing I could find. And so, yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're gone. And they were, they were competing head to head with Jetstar, right? So. Oh, they were a fraction of their size though. Yeah, well, that's that's right. Well, I mean, they're running on operating income. What have they got here? 45 million, which is nothing compared to uh, to, to Jetstar. I think they're Jetstar's revenue, but I'm sure it's have at least one zero behind it. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, interesting. A quick one on the on going back to the e-com space for a sec. What, what are you seeing? Because I know we're talking about AI and performance marketing versus branding. What are you predicting, Mark? I know, like you, I know you're on a panel of a couple of big. I won't mention um, any of the any of the networks or the you know the, the the associations. But what are you kind of seeing in this space? Like any prediction? Are you seeing any major trends? I mean, apart from a kind of, you know, I guess the the, the, the refocus on on brand, which is to some extent we're going to be forced down because of a lack of data, but we, we've kind of done that one to death, I think, is a lot of my work is customer focus and custom, you know, being customer centric. And everyone says they're customer centric and 95% of the time it's it's not true. I, I was chatting with a CEO of this company trying and, and, you know, asked them what's the average age of their customer, where does their typical customer live? And she couldn't answer that. And this is like an $80 million company. And um, but that's, that's normal. That's, yeah. that's really normal. And, and people like, hey, there's, there's another company who've been running for like five or six years. It's a technically quite complex site just by necessity in their space. There's no way around that. And they had never actually watched a single user use their website. And so I just got a couple of, you know, genuine oh. users using the website, recorded it and sent it to them. It was just like some obvious basic flaws on my website that had been there for years. Yeah, if I'd asked them, you know, are you guys customer centric? They would have said yes. Is that because, I mean, do you find that these brands more typically, are typically, sorry, like more revenue, like focused? We just got to, we've got a number that we need to hit. I don't really care how we're going to get there. Just focus on hitting the revenue number. No, I don't think it's that. I think they, they, they just, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it, it isn't that because when, when I talk to them about it, they're, they're very enthusiastic about it. Mm, 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 mm. And in fact, I just ran a whole bunch more user tests, which is as soon as we get off this call is my, my, my very next job today is, is, is doing what, watching some of these user tests and writing up notes on them. And, and they, they love it when I showed it to them. They, they absolutely love these things. And, you know, they've, they've dropped a couple of grand on them over the last, last month or so. And, and they're seeing real business results from it. I think they just don't think that way. I think people, 
what, what I typically see in most companies is the CEO thinks the customer is them and, and people mm, in mm. general think the customer is them. Mm. And, and, you know, when, when I did some um, marketing study, like literally lesson one is you are not the customer. And even if you are the customer, you know, what, what, whatever is, you know, the textbook, you know, custom, you know, whatever textbook persona Rob happens to be or Mark happens to be, the second you start working for that company, you cease to be the customer because you become so biased and your understanding of that space just becomes corrupt immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you need to keep constantly looking outside the company because you just don't know who it is and, and you lose perspective as soon as you're inside a company. So on that, I guess what would be your biggest piece of advice, right, or tip right now for, for brands that are growing during this, you know, this, these times that we're in at the moment with AI and all the rest of it, right? And I guess with the ever-changing landscape in, in, in digital, what would be like, I guess, like the ultimate piece of advice that any brand of any, you know, shape or size can, I guess, implement or look, look into? Understand your customer. Mm. It, it, it's, it sounds so basic. But as I said, most companies don't do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, like again, you know, that, that, that same, same call I was on this morning, we were, we, were, we were talking about customer at length. And, you know, this is like, you know, this is 80, 90 mil run rate, something like that. They're, they're a decent sized company. I've been going for many years. And we're talking about, you know, running, you know, talking about creative strategies and stuff like that. And they said, oh, we, we, we have no shortage of, of creative ideas. And it's like, yeah, great. But what's the thinking behind them? Where, where's the customer insights that are driving your creative? And just, drew a blank there was no answer to that but they, they had even considered the question and that's most companies yeah most companies have no customer insights and so you know but but you know it, it's all about who's your customer what is the challenge they're facing mm. what is the idea we can use and then what is the creative execution and most people don't start off with the customer they go straight to creative execution yeah or or, or idea so mm, you know, you've idea. got you know executions for bottom line and then you've got the ideas above that but the strategies above that most people don't go to that level mm. You know, I know when, when I was at Shopo, I ran one campaign that was like incredibly successful, but, but there was a strategy behind it. And that was not necessarily obvious through the execution. And I saw one of our competitors copy the execution, but they'd missed the strategy. And I, I guarantee that they did not have anywhere near the return that we did. No, I would, I would bet my life savings on it. And it's interesting. I mean, I know, I know you and I have had a, have a conversations at length of this, right? Like there are a lot of agencies out there and, you know, a lot of businesses too that are very tactically driven, mm. but they're very good at running that tactical piece or that execution piece very good, but not with a lot of thinking, right? It's yeah. generally either ripping off something yes. else or copying another, you know, execution piece, but you're right. You know, like without that layer of strategy, it's, you're just flying blind, really. It's a spray and pray approach. Let's take that and see if it works on our brand. Yeah. And, and, and it, it does work, you know, it's, it's profitable, but it mm. doesn't mean it can't be, you know, better. It, it can't be better. Like, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with one company who um, we've just been, we're going through a process of hiring ad strategist. So someone whose idea is basically to come up with, you know, the, the, the strategy for, for, for the advertising. And, and we interviewed, came down to two people and, and gave them both the task. And, and one of them came back with a very tactical idea. And the other one actually, got the customer insights, came back with the strategy and the creative was just chalk and cheese. You know, they, mm. they, were, both, they were both technically good. They both looked mm. pretty, but one of them, honestly, uh, you know, it, it was so good. I actually want to run it just based on, and we, we made him a job offer since and um, I think he's accepted. I need to find out. He's, he's, <laughs> I hope yeah. he has. <laughs> yeah, that was just what one, you know, just administrative hiccup, but not nothing, nothing bad. Yeah, but, but it was just because he, he thought about the customer and thought about the customer's challenge where the other person was just like straight into specs, which, which are, are important. Don't get me wrong, tactics are, of course, tactics are important, but tactics without strategy is nothing, but you need both of them. Execution follows strategy, right? Not the other way around. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm only hearing talk about culture, but that's a whole number of discussion. <laughs> How long have you got? I'll better let you go to go and uh, pull together your custom insights. <laughs> yeah, was, 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 was it Peter Drucker? I think it was what, what one of the great business strategists said, um, culture eat strategy for breakfast. That's it, correct. That was, that was Drucker, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it, was, so. it was one of, one of those it was legendary one, guys. One of those guys. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the super business legend. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of truth to that as well. Absolutely, I totally agree. Totally agree. Mm. Mark, my friend, how do we find you? How do our listeners find you? Oh, where do yeah. you spend uh, a lot of your time? LinkedIn is probably a good way to reach me. Just Mark yeah. Bartzer, B A A R T S E, or markbartzer.com or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I'll put, I'll put it all in the comments so um, for all our listeners awesome. to, to to find you, mate. Always a pleasure. Um, hopefully, we don't have to re record this again. Although I wouldn't mind tomorrow or the day <laughs> after. <laughs> so um, just just recurring appointment in our calendar, man. Mate, we'll do it every week. Who knows what comes out of it, right? I'll always love the conversation. Cool. Mark, thank you very much, mate. And uh, have a great uh, Arvo. Good luck with the insights that you'll pull out for this, for, for this, for this client. And um, it sounds like it's a bit of CRO, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Look, yeah, that, that's all. You, you want to talk about CRO? But, but okay, let's talk about CRO. We, we've signed off, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We can keep going. So I'm, I'm doing a project with another company at the moment about CRO. But, you know, people, you know, CRO, they talk about, you know, button colors. Let's change this button from blue to green or whatever. And that's fine. And there's a time and place for that. Yeah. But it's like, what's the value proposition? Mm. What, what, what's, what's the, you know, what's, what, what's the creative? Are people educated on the site? Like I'm doing a CRO project for a company. And uh, I use the term CRO broadly. Everything is CRO, really. It's like where we're changing the meta, meta descriptions. 100%. I mean, copy is yeah, the one thing. Yeah, 100%. Copy, like words make a big difference, right? Yeah. You could change but, one single word on a site and it can make a huge difference to conversions. But we're, we're changing that not to increase click-through rate, but to increase conversion rate. That, that mm. you know, this, this company has a, like a, a semi-complex value proposition. And, and so we want to make sure people are educated before they land on the site and know what they're getting. And, and that's part of a CRO project. And it will increase a lot of, increase a lot of your metrics like you know page on sites and bounce rates and, and and all of that right exactly exactly and you know if, if someone chooses not to click because of that well you know that, that's so be it that's fine but, you know that they were going to bounce anyway maybe that could be our next call it's still CRO because i love that space actually oh me too i'm, I'm passionate about cro yeah yeah i jumped on the cool. site the other day i'll probably leave you with this one Get, check out uh clebit clebit.io or i think it's clebit.com they do predictive dynamic content Check it out. Yeah, right. It's really, really cool. In fact, I'll leave there for all our listeners. They can go check them out. There you go. There's a little yeah, plug cool. for the guys. Yeah, I was looking at a data enrichment tool and I came across them and I was blown away. Blown away. Really, really cool stuff. What if I could use GPT-3 to do that? Possibly. Dyn dynamic <laughs> content on the fly. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Dynamic content I've got, I've got based on location. I don't know what to do with it. So yeah. Anyway, oh, I'm sure you can get down dirty with it. I'm sure you can find a couple of things to do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just playing. I'm, I'm just doing like ad creative and like copywriting at the moment, but there's so many things you can do with it. Oh, man, doing, you'd, you'll be able to do tons of stuff do, with um, it. People, I'm doing UX design with it. Oh, wow. But you go, go look on YouTube. There's, there's a clip of someone who goes, they've, they've built with some add-on to, um, what's it called, Figma or one, one of the big UX programs. Yep. And they type in plain English design an app for me. They basically describe Instagram without actually using Instagram. They say, D -d design an app for me that has photos and a like button and whatever. And it, it goes away and waits like three seconds and designs this app. I got to check this out. I don't know. How the hell did you get, you get access to it? That's dangerous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I won't tell you that. It, it, it involved kind of some generous extensions of the truth. Yeah, okay. 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 That's fair. That's fair. It's, it's all right. I'm not, yeah. Well, ha have fun with it. I'm sure our next call, you can fill me into what you've got it to do. Uh, um, I'll, I'll just get it to, to talk for me. Well, we might as well. I'll just record the podcast with it next time. Yeah, yeah. I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Yeah. 
<laughs> Mark, thank you again. And mate, I'll, uh, yeah, we'll definitely catch up soon. See you, mate. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.